Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group, a roundtable community outreach with our partner, the AIDPH, which is the American Institute of Dental Public Health. Today is Saturday, December 17th. December is AIDS Awareness and National Human Rights Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. You heard him at the break. Our co-host is me, Sean Claiborne, an Army National Guard veteran. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Productions. And we have our partner on the line, Dr. Annalise Cothrone. She's a co-founder and executive director of the American Institute of Dental Public Health. She manages the program fund development and overall strategy of the AIDPH, and we're going to go over the year in review. How you doing, Mister? I'm sorry, Miss Doctor Cothrone. How you doing? Hi, Sean. Great to be here. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you. So tell us, so what has 2022 done for your organization, and also what are you looking forward to in 2023? Yeah, I, I'm so excited to be able to share what AIDPH has done this year. Um, you know, for those of you who may not be familiar with AIDPH, even though we are on America Cares Group um, every month around this time, so feel free to, to tune in if you want to learn more about what we're doing and also keep up with what we're doing next year. But in case this is your first time listening and you're not familiar with AIDPH, we're a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to the science and education of dental public health. And that term may not sound familiar with to you, dental public health, but essentially it's just a specialty of dentistry, which means that we're public health focused. We are really attuned to population health and ensuring that underserved communities get access to dental care. So that's the core part of what dental public health as a specialty is. And then what we do here at AIDPH is working with our core communities of focus to help improve access to dental care, help improve quality of dental care, and also just prepare oral health professionals to be able to treat and provide support to underserved and marginalized communities. So here at AIDPH, our core communities of focus include people living in rural areas, LGBTQIA plus people, veterans, and the broader oral health workforce. And so looking ahead to 2023, we're adding a fifth community of focus, which is people with disabilities. Mm. Um, Throughout this year, we actually learned that, um, you know, people with disabilities, it's it's an incredibly diverse group. I'm sure most of us probably have experienced a disability at some point, probably have a friend or family member who has a disability. And so we recognized working particularly with veterans that we were mostly supporting disabled veterans, especially with our policy and advocacy work. And so it felt like a natural extension for AIDPH to really commit and strengthen that focus in 2023. So we're really excited to be able to add that focus, and we hope folks will stay tuned and, and also, you know, keep us accountable, keep us committed to ensuring that we're doing all the right things to support uh, people living with disabilities. So we're, we're really excited to extend our focus and our work into that area. Um, but throughout 2022, we had a lot of success, um, mostly in our 
education spaces and our science and research spaces. We have five goals, and you can find our impact report and kind of exactly what our mission, vision, values, goals, objectives, all of that. You can find that on our website on www.aidph.org. If you head over to the communications tab, you'll find our impact report for this year and uh, and, and subsequent years, if that's of interest. But kind of our 2022 roadmap, we had four key areas that we were interested in making some movement in. Number one being elevate oral health equity and those core communities of focus. Number two, transform the oral health workforce through leadership and capacity building. Number three, generating research that disrupts inequitable systems of oral health. And then number four, forge partnerships among diverse stakeholders as trusted brokers of health equity. And, you know, I would say just in that fourth space right now, thinking through our partnership with America's Heroes Group, we've really been able to forge those really cool partnerships that help us ultimately expand the other places too. Like, um, you know, with America's Heroes Group, being able to invest in veterans, expand our impact. And we've also been able to share a lot of our research through uh, this podcast as well. So take me through, first of all, um, why is dental health not taken as seriously as other parts of the body? So dental health play, we've talked about this in previous times we've been on the show, it plays such an important part in your overall health. People just think that, oh, we have a toothache or a serious pain when something goes wrong in your mouth. But the problem is, is that it also can lead to other very serious things in your body. Why is it not taken as serious as it should be? You know, that's an interesting question, Sean, because to me, I would venture to say that the average person probably takes their dental care very seriously. I think it's our systems and the people in charge of those systems who aren't prioritizing our dental care. Uh, you know, when it comes to our policy and advocacy work, uh, we like to say that this, you know, everybody has a mouth. This is, this is not a partisan political issue. Everybody has a mouth and everybody wants to feel healthy. Everybody wants to feel like they can chew, like they can eat, like they can smile. And so I really think the lack of priority, um, for dental care across the U.S. and particularly for veterans, I think it's because from the very beginning, you know, many years ago, whenever we set up uh, Medicaid and Medicare, dental was never included in that. Neither was vision and some of these other things. Um, and so for some reason, because of how our insurance system was set up, it means that dental care has really been siloed. It's been completely not prioritized and the subsequent or the consequence of that has been that dental care is so expensive. Um, so I, I would probably counter and say, I think we all probably think that's pretty important, but unfortunately our policymakers um, and those who are making decisions in leadership don't prioritize this. And certainly that counts for veterans too. You know, a big piece of our advocacy this year has been bringing awareness to the lack of coverage that veterans experience for dental care. 85% of veterans are not eligible for dental care through the VA. So we're talking about 85% of, of veterans who are getting their medical care in the VA are not eligible to get their dental care in the VA. And of that 15% that are eligible, only a third actually utilize that benefit. And that's, that's because they don't understand their benefits. It may be difficult to actually access that care and access VA dental clinics. 
So I think that, you know, again, based on our research that we've been able to accomplish this year, we know that veterans care about their dental, their dental care and their oral health. Mm-hmm. It's a top priority for veterans, but for some reason, um, it hasn't been prioritized in our health system implementation. Hmm. So how do we change that through advocacy and some of the work you guys are doing and things like that? How do we how do we get on top of that to make our policyholders and change the system so that insurance companies they start to think about this as not as a silo or something separate from the main body, but also something that, that you, when you get your health insurance, it's just part of what you what you need. We are going to have problems with our teeth at some point. We're either going to get dentures, we're going to get cavities, you're going to have loose teeth or whatever. Something's going to happen to your teeth. Right. Right. I think, um, number one, if you are a veteran and you're listening to this, you have to make your voice heard. You have to tell your elected officials that this is unacceptable. And um, unfortunately, this is a really complicated issue because it has to deal with federal policy. Um, So federal policy and the federal code actually dictates the type of benefits that veterans are able to receive, how much money those benefits cost, what priority groups, et cetera. And it's, it can actually get pretty complicated and nuanced. But even for veterans, again, our research indicates that 42% of veterans don't actually understand whether or not they have dental benefits. It's, it's mm-hmm. that complicated. That's crazy, though. So first off, we have to change federal code mm-hmm. to expand eligibility, right? That's step one. Step two is that we also have to have budget for it means that the federal government has to make a budget to cover that care. So veterans should be writing their elected officials. They should be emailing their members of Congress. They should be talking to their senators and saying, we want to change the federal code because we need help. We need support. And so I I think that this is one of an opportunity for veteran-led effort. And two, it's an opportunity for anybody, you know, for oral health professionals, for advocates, to help veterans have their voices heard by by supporting this at the federal level as a federal policy change. And you mentioned also too about inequity in dental coverage and also dental health. Tell us, well, take it a little bit deeper into that situation. So, you know, how is dental health? Um, if, if, if basically everybody has to get their, pretty much seems like they're on their own getting their dental health for the most part. Now, how is it inequitable from for different groups of people? Because you because you mentioned that you advocate for many groups of people that everybody has different challenges. So take me through that those different challenges and obstacles to getting that dental health care. Right. Well, um, I think probably most people listening understand, or if you have dental care, it's probably through your employer, right? So most of the time, you get your medical and dental benefits through an employer. And uh, and that kind of dictates how much money you're going to have to pay out of pocket. It dictates what you have access to. And um, so, number one, right off the bat, if you are not employed or if you're not employed full time, if you are unhoused, if you are, say, working from home and maybe you're or you're self-employed, et cetera, right, right there kind of already gives you a cutoff for a potential barrier. Um since most of our health care is actually connected to who we are employed by and how much they're able to afford to give us in health care, that already sets up an inequitable system and an inequitable access to care point. But we also understand that there are, in public health, we like to talk a lot about the social determinants of health. I like to reframe this as actually the political determinants of health. Because a lot of times these social determinants, um, which 
are, are kind of these everyday pieces of our life and our world that impact how we can access care and how healthy we're actually allowed to be, how, how we're allowed to have the opportunity to access care. And so a determinant of health can be physically where you're located, whether or not you have sidewalks, whether or not you have access to um, transportation to get you to a medical or dental appointment, whether or not you have access to a grocery store that has fresh fruits and vegetables. Those are all part of those social determinants of health. But if you look up from there, kind of upstream on how those social determinants are kind of enacted or enabled, we recognize that it's often very political and policy driven, that where you have the opportunities to have help at that level are determined by policies. And so a big piece of what we do here in public health is try to influence those policies toward more equitable oral health. I'm kind of thinking through those other communities that we focus on, veterans, which we've talked about, LGBTQIA plus people, um, and also rural um, oral health. Each one of those layers of either environment or identity actually impacts your ability to be healthy. It influences the opportunities that you have for health. One thing that we actually did this year, and it was the first ever, we're very, very proud of it, was LGBTQIA Oral Health Week. And so we got a lot of questions in October saying, I don't understand. How are those two things related? Like, how is your identity as an LGBTQIA plus person, how is that connected to your oral health and well-being? And it's through that connection of those social determinants. We know that LGBTQIA plus people face a disproportionate impact or a disproportionate amount of discrimination. That's well documented. Um, And even kind of stress or trauma. I know this year there was a lot of uncertainty around whether or not, for instance, people who are gay um, or married to somebody of the same gender, whether or not they were going to actually be able to stay married to their spouse. So we were very much celebrating um, the recent Respect for Marriage Act because those stressors can actually impact your ability to be healthy and, um, and how much biochemicals are released through stress and anxiety and depression. And that actually impacts your oral health, too. I mean, Think about it. If you're chronically stressed or anxious, are you going to prioritize brushing your teeth every day? That might feel really, really difficult. So we were able to go through and highlight how all of these really big environmental and social stressors can actually be connected to your oral health and have an impact on it. So you mentioned some stressors. Also, I imagine diet might change when you have certain types of, um, you know, different types of demographics. If you're in a food desert, um, if you're going through different types of trauma or stress in your life, maybe you have maybe you're the type of person who reaches out to sugary uh, sweets and, you know, the first for comfort food or whatever. All these things I'd imagine could have a, a big impact on cavities or in, in your dental, uh, your dental health. Um, what are yeah. Some, yeah, so what are some of the things that, that um, we can do as, as individuals every single day? Um, and I'm asking another question back to this previous question. But uh, first, before we get there, what, what, do we, what can we do as everyday people to make sure that we have good dental health in the absence of health coverage for dental? For dental? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I think everybody at this point understands brush your teeth twice a day, right? Like that's an easy one. I actually read recently that flossing can be more important than brushing just because of all of the bacteria that gets in between your teeth. 
Um, and we also, in public health, really emphasize brushing your teeth with fluoridated toothpaste. So fluoride helps to remineralize your teeth. It helps to keep them strong. Um, that's why we advocate for community water fluoridation, because it can often help combat cavities um, and, and keep your teeth healthy and strong. So, so that's an easy one. I'm sure most people know that. But you've already touched on a really big one here, too, which is diet. Uh, you want to make sure that you're eating foods with less sugar. Um, and I think a lot of us access sugar more than we realize through sugar-sweetened beverages. Um, so that can be juices, sodas. Um, always read the nutrition facts on the back of, uh, of your labels because a lot of times sugar will just sneak in um, on those sugar-sweetened beverages. So we always emphasize drinking plain water as much as you can and just limiting sugar-sweetened beverages. Also, with um, from a public health perspective, we're really focused on ensuring that folks reduce um, what's called cariogenic foods, which is basically cavity-causing foods. So things like carbs, um, which oftentimes really? we don't realize. Carbs? Yeah, carbohydrates. So That's right. I know it's a bummer. Like I know. <laughs> it's a huge bummer. And the big thing people don't realize is that crackers are one of the most cariogenic foods what? because, yes, they get stuck in your teeth, especially in those back molars. They can get stuck um, in, like, the biting surfaces of your teeth. So especially for little kids, like goldfishes and everything oh, like that, man. we think we're giving them something healthy, and they can actually be more damaging at times. So did Dennis do us, do us a favor? I remember back in the day growing up as a kid, they were pushing sugarless gum. Were they, yeah. Were they, was that was it? Was Dental Association American eighty? Was it American Dental Association? Were they doing us a, a good job when they told us about about chewing sugarless gum or sugar free? Well, I think the intention here is to try to make choices. If you realize maybe you have a pattern of a of a unhealthy diet choice, that maybe finding a good substitute can still keep you, you know, from not having to, to being able to enjoy things like gum if that's what you like. But being able to make a switch to, like, sugar-free or kind of reducing the sugar-sweetened beverages, maybe you drink them several times a day, maybe you limit it to just once a day. I think it's about making those easy lifestyle choices that are attainable, right? So um, so I think a lot of our research this year has focused on predominantly kind of what we can do in those core communities of focus. Um, we haven't focused as much on nutrition, but... Uh, if I if I can, I wanted to share with you um, an article that we just came out with. I think it was just released this week, mm-hmm. and it was actually on analyzing PPP loan data. So mm-hmm. the Paycheck Protection Program, I think everybody is, is probably familiar with it, but just in case you're not, that was a program that was developed by the federal government as a response to COVID and ensuring that small businesses stayed afloat whenever things were shutting down. So you could apply to get funding for your small business if you were impacted by COVID-19. And so what we did is took the data from that PPP loan program and we analyzed differences in dental businesses, right? So, you know, dental clinics, dental businesses, small business owners who were dentists, they were certainly impacted by COVID-19. In fact, dentistry in most places was deemed as a non-essential medical um, procedure or medical care. And so many dental offices shut down for several months. And the only thing that was allowed in most states was if you had an emergency dental need, right? So as a result, many dental businesses applied for PPP loan funding. Hmm. And so we analyzed that data 
it's you know data from the federal government. Anybody can analyze it. It's open to the public. And what we looked at is differences in um, loan amounts. So how much uh, how much money uh, a dental business was allowed to get from the federal government, and also loan forgiveness. And we looked at that and compared women-owned dental businesses, um, racial and ethnic minority-owned dental businesses, rural and veteran-owned dental businesses. And what our research showed was that women and racial minority-owned dental businesses received fewer loans, um, less money, and they also received less loan forgiveness. So essentially, women and racial minority-owned businesses were getting less money from the federal government and having less of that money forgiven at the end of the PPP loan tenure. So it was really um, shocking and also very sad. Why was that? I don't know. I wish I had an answer for you. I think that's that's really where we were able to analyze the data. You know, it's kind of limited in the number of indicators, but I think the impact here are that women and minority-owned businesses one, did not receive the financial support that they needed. And then number two, they were also shouldered with debt if they had less of their loans forgiven. Um, so that means people who were probably um, maybe disenfranchised from the beginning as small business owners were, even, were left even more disenfranchised uh, based on these PPP loans and the inequitable funding that was associated with them. So this leads me to the question I was saving um, for you last time. So the... Are we moving in a better direction? Um, I, so the thing, one thing I think is positive is that there's organizations like yours that actually are doing the data and getting the research, because without the information, we really can't address the problem. So are we as is are we are you seeing change or movement with the information that's been coming out? I would say in some areas, yes. Um, one thing that I, that we definitely celebrated this year was actually the change of Medicare. Um, well, it, maybe it was a change, maybe it wasn't. It depends on how you interpret it. So we, dental public health and public policy folks, were actually celebrating um, an interpretation of medically necessary care under the Medicaid rule and scope such that some dental procedures are now deemed medically necessary and can be covered through Medicare. That was after years and years and years of advocacy. And it left kind of a small opening for us to get some dental care procedures covered through Medicare. So I would say in some ways, man, like that was such a win. That took years of people advocating just to get that incremental change. So while I, I certainly celebrate that success, I can also say we really have a long way to go. Um, you know, AIDPH is not the only organization that's been advocating for expanded access to care for veterans. Veterans have been advocating for this for years. Um, advocates like the BFW have been advocating for this for years, and we still haven't seen any movement or momentum. I will also say in the same breath, we know that some states like Oregon recently expanded their Medicaid uh, to include uh, dental benefits for veterans, which was great. Um, states like Iowa actually have a trust fund for veterans to be able to get grants to access medical care. So there are some states um, that are really taking care of their veterans and really seeing some momentum and expanding access to care and expanding coverage for care. 
But I, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. In some ways, we've seen a lot of success. And then I think in other ways, we just really need to acknowledge how far we have left to go. So that brings us back to 2023. So in 2023, what do you want to do or what do you want to do to try to grease those wheels a little bit more? Yeah, so in 2023, we are still hyper-focused on our policy and advocacy. We're certainly not uh, letting that die. We are still pressing uh, for the federal code to be changed so that veterans have expanded access to dental care. That's really critically important to us. Um, We're also excited to continue our research and really expanding how we're viewing our core community of focus, how we're looking at ways to expand access to dental care, in particular for um, for veterans, yes, and for people with disabilities. Um, one of the areas of interest that we're really looking into is something called trauma-informed care. This is not new. This is something that's been done in medical care probably for a lot longer, and it's, it has not adopted well into oral health just yet. But really, it's a, it's a means of care delivery that is more sensitive and understanding to how people may be experiencing medical care, dental care, especially dental care. It feels really invasive, right? Like you go to the dentist and you're laying there, uh, your mouth is open, sometimes your hygienist is talking to you, and it can be painful. Anxiety. And so using trauma-informed, right, exactly, you can feel <laughs> afraid to be there, Um So using a trauma-informed approach actually just means being more sensitive to the needs of veterans, to people who may be, you know, survivors of of other types of trauma, um, and investing in getting oral health professionals to to use those techniques. It can be as simple as just narrating what you're doing to the patient. Like, you would think that's natural, right? You would think that's something that every person does, right? That doesn't always happen. You don't always ask for consent before you touch somebody or, you know, do a procedure in somebody's mouth, what have you. So we're really looking to invest in understanding that better. Um, And then we really want to build leadership. We really want to build leadership in the oral health community. We want people to know how to go into their community, support marginalized populations, um, and support our mission, vision, and values into 2023 with great partners like America Theorist Group. That is Dr. Annalise Cothrone, co-founder, or sorry, the co-founder and executive director of the American Institute of Dental Public Health, manages the program fund development and overall strategy of the AIDPH, and she gave us great information for 2023. We appreciate your time and always. Thanks so much, Sean. Always. Appreciate it. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.